this message called Compelled by Love, Compelled by Love. And I wonder what the Lord's spoken to you so far. For me, even this week, I feel like the Lord has put so much on my heart, really too much to share. And I want, really, I feel like the Lord wants us to know and understand love in the way that he knows and understands it. There are different definitions uh, of love that the world has, but God has his own definition, his own way of seeing love. And I want to share this scripture, this first scripture with you today. It says this, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. And from that, I want to ask you the question, how much of what you do in your life is done, is motivated by love? Because it says, let all that you do be done in love. And so there's an implication there that there are things that we can do, things that we can think that are not motivated by love. They're motivated by something else. You know, there are other powerful forces and motives uh, that can be at work in us. But remember, Jesus was moved by love and compassion. Remember, when he saw the crowds, the crowds that he fed with the loaves of bread and the and the fish, the miraculous feeding of the crowd of 5,000, or it was more like 20,000 if you count the families as well. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. You know, when he was moved by compassion, then he moved. So the motivation and the the drive, okay, was love. And when love is your motive, when you everything you do is done in love, things happen. And you step into good places that you need to be in. And that's what God wants to let you know about today. Because there are other motives. What about fear? What about anxiety? You know, these are also powerful forces that can be at work in us. And they push us in a different direction. But they push us in a direction that maybe isn't always the best direction. I mean, think about what we were talking about last year. Can anyone remember what we were talking about last year? Other than just COVID and and all these things. Okay, we were talking about toilet rolls. Can you remember February of last year? Toilet rolls. You could not get toilet rolls to save your life because people out of fear had taken them all from the shops. And what about the people who got there? Last, what about the older, more vulnerable people who got there and there's no toilet rolls, there's no food because the shops have just been cleared? You know, how loving was that? What was the motive there? Was the motive love or was the motive fear? Because fear and other things can make you do weird stuff like this and make you go in a different direction you don't need to go in. But God wants to motivate you through love. Let all that you do be done in love. And so we understand that the the Jesus way of life is different, has a different definition of love than the world does. And in fact, it's often harder to do things out of love than maybe out of fear or another motive. And there's a a great song 
by Jason Gray. Uh, and in the one of the lyrics, it says, fear is easy, but love is hard. You know, love, you know, we're, it's Valentine's Day today. And, you know, we're talking about love and we're making each other cards and all these kind of things, you know. And, and love is that, but love is more than that. Love is often hard. It's often the harder choice to follow. It's often the harder path to go on because there's a cost to you. But you see, God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world that he did something. God so loved the world that he moved. And we need to be moved. We need to be compelled by that same love of God in us. Think about Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, the night before his crucifixion, moments before he'd be taken by the Sanhedrin and, and trialed in the temple. And of course, trial before Herod and then trial before Pontius Pilate. And he was fearful. You know, Jesus wasn't generally wasn't a person of fear. There's times when he would sleep, uh, be asleep on a boat that was almost sinking because he knew it wasn't his time yet. But this was his time. And not only was it his time, but it was it was the shifting point of history as well. And it fell on him. And not only was he fearful for his for his life, fearful for the pain he was going to suffer, the rejection, everything he went through on the cross. You know, it says that he, he for the joy set before him, you know, he endured the cross. So it wasn't something he wanted. To, it's not something that he looked forward to. It's not something he enjoyed. It's not it, it, right. There was nothing in it for him in that sense, except what was coming after. And so that's what love it. Love sees further than just the moment. And even though he was fearful, how did love overcome fear by submitting himself to the father and said, not my will be done, but yours, not my human will right now that says I need to preserve myself, but your will father. And that is what overcame death and saved us. Remember, nails did not hold Jesus to the cross. Love did. That's from a poem by Sharon Lagu. Nails did not hold Jesus to the cross. Love did. He could have stepped down. He could have called legions of angels down to save him from the mocking crowds and, and the, crucif the crucifixion itself. But he endured it to the death. And he destroyed death through his death. And love wins. And he rose victorious on the third day and is alive forevermore. And now lives in us who believe. And because he lives in us, because he who is love lives in us. We are different. We are changed. We have a new motive. We have something in us. You see, if we recognize that what it means to be a Christian means to follow Jesus, means to follow the way of love, then what is love? What is the way that God understands it? Of course, there's this sacrificial love of Jesus. There's all layers and elements of it that we can understand. But remember, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. 
That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a well-known scripture. But if you were to take your name and put it in the place of love, if you were to say, Sam is patient, you know, Jeremy, whoever Jeremy is, is kind. You know, sometimes you say, you know what? I'm not always those things. I'm not always patient. Um, I'm not always kind, you know, and and yet Christ lives within me. I know it and I'm filled with the spirit. So if, I, if I'm filled with him who is love, then why don't I always show it? Why is there a disconnect between the one who lives within me, like we talked about last week, and the expression of the way I live my life? You know, that's a, that's a question we need to wrestle with. But remember, Christ, like I said, is, lives within us by his spirit. We've been born again, if we believe. And now we don't have an excuse to say, well, we're just human. I'm just human and I do these things. Because really, if you're born again, you are human, but you're not just human anymore because Christ lives within you. And the life that you've been called to live, the life of love, patience, okay, the way that God defines love like we see here, okay, you are not the source. You are not the 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 only resource of that love because I don't know about you, but my love, my patience uh, has a limit. There's times I've had enough uh, with people, with situations, and it's just the end. But God is infinite. And it says here that love never fails. And if I recognize that he lives within me, if I recognize that he is the source, then he's the one I need to go to, to become that which he wants me to be. And it's the same for everyone. And so God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And now, as we live in a fallen world, as we live with temptation all around us, we need to remember that, yes, there's the internal influence of God's spirit, God's love, but there's all the forces like I talked about already. And when we come together as church, I shared this scripture in the first week about the purpose of the gathered church, why we're here today, okay? It's so that we can consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's from the book of Hebrews chapter 10. So you see, we are light in dark times and we need to be what we're called to be for the sake of the world around us. It says here, all the more as you, de- as you see the day approach, he's talking about the second coming. He's talking about the fact that we live in dark times and that Jesus will come again one day. And we, like him, we are light in the darkness and we need to be reflecting him. And we need to be encouraging each other to and spurring each other on towards love and good deeds. And that's what I want to do with you today. And the Holy Spirit wants to do that uh, with you today. And so... We need to remind ourselves of the source of our power. Remember, it's the spirit of God at work in us. That is the source. And remember, we talked about this at the end of last week's message. But God, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-discipline. And there's other translations of this great scripture where it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, 
but a but a power, love, and a sound mind. Okay, so when the spirit is work at work in you, you have the greatest resource. Okay, to be the best version of yourself, as the world likes to say. But it's true because there is a version of you that God sees that's Christ-like, and you're moving towards that. And it's through the empowerment of the spirit. You see, the spirit of God in you, okay, connects you to the Lord. There's so many scriptures I could show uh, that, that that talk about this. But Jesus is the source. God is the source. The Holy Spirit is the source. And they're at work in you. Okay. But like I said, we don't always um, show the fruit of the one who lives within us. And so how can we, how can we move from just knowing that this is what we, we're called to, to actually getting there? And, and that brings us to my main scripture that I want to expound with you today. It's from the Gospel of John, chapter 15. And this is part of Jesus's last uh, sermon, last conversation with the followers of before he goes to the cross. Okay, so these are important words that he wants them to know. And of course, he talks about how they're going to be connected to him through the spirit. But then he goes into detail about what that's going to mean for you and for your life. And of course, whatever he said to the followers of Jesus, then he says to us now, because these are written that we may believe, right? These are written for our sake. Okay, so this is, hear this, hear Jesus saying this to you today. Says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't, do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burnt. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you may, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And this is the next part of that. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Isn't that amazing? If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my father's commands and remain in his love i've told you this so that you may so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete my command is this love each other as i have loved you greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends you are my friends if you do what i command i no longer call you servants because a servant does know does not know what his master is doing. I'm not put that on the screen, but I'll skip through to the end here. When he says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. And that's part of a very long conversation, a very long sermon that goes from John chapter 14 all the way through to John chapter 17. It's a very powerful section of scripture. Right in the middle of that is this scripture. 
about abiding in the vine. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And uh, here's a picture of grapes on a vine. And you can see there's the branch uh, at the top, okay. And, and Jesus is the vine. He's the source. He's the middle bit, okay. But connected into the source, the life source, okay, are the branches. And off the branches come the fruit, the grapes, okay. Only when there's a secure and solid connection to the vine can there be fruit. And remember what else Jesus said about this. He talks about, whoops, gone too far. Uh, he talks about how if you remain in my love, you will bear much fruit. Okay. Now, earlier on and throughout this scripture, you can't see it here because it's such a long section of scripture that I've not included uh, here. But Jesus talks about how his father is the gardener. Okay. His father is the gardener who is pruning the vine. He's pruning the branches. Okay. Anyone who keeps uh, any kind of fruit tree or really grows anything in their garden, okay, knows that you need to do a lot of work on those plants for them to, to bear fruit, to, to be fruitful, okay, for there to be vegetation or whatever at the end that you're going you're gonna to use, okay. And, and so the father is also at work, okay. The father is at work dressing, cutting away dead bits of the plant, that aren't bearing fruit. And if, and if the gardener doesn't do that, then the whole plant starts to wither up and it just becomes a stick basically. So, so there's, there's work to be done. If you, if you never cut anything away, you don't really get uh, the fruit that you need for it. And that in, includes chopping off all kinds of, you know, my parents, my parents have uh, a, grapevines in their garden and you have to cut up a lot of the external parts of the plants to really get down to there's the fruit there's the plant so anyway what's Jesus saying he's using of course a familiar image of growing fruit okay to convey the connection that's needed but also the process of cutting away that which isn't life-giving because the vine is life-giving, but there's other bits that grow off that aren't, and they suck the life out. And that's like us in our hearts. There are things in our hearts that grow, okay? Where do they come from? We don't know. They're just there. They grow, and they take over, okay? And it chokes the life out of the fruit. And, you know, if, if you imagine being snipped and cut by the gardener, that might not be a nice process, Okay? But, and it's the same with us, when God uh, cuts and dresses, okay, us, okay, he's cutting off all kinds of things that we might like, you know, the things that, the pleasurable sins or whatever, whatever they are, okay, but they're sucking the life from you, and he wants you to bear fruit, and at the end of it, he wants to have that delicious fruit. My daughter came to me this morning, and she's been squeezing some oranges, and she's been putting it in a little cup to give me to drink and it tastes delicious you know and there's such a moment of pleasure in that when you have that fruit and uh, and that's what the father's looking for that character that love patience kindness good the fruits of the spirit which i'll look at in a moment um of course 
when we come to know that the love of God, okay, we have to remember that he's not only the, he's the source, but we need to remember that he is love. Okay, so we've come to believe and know. Let me read this for you. We've come to believe, my thing's in the way here. We've come to know and believe that the love God has for us, God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. For there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So Apostle John is reminding them of what is written in the Gospel of John, which he also wrote when he's recording the words of Jesus. And he's trying to be true to the what Jesus is saying. But he's also gone that step further and bringing that understanding of God is love. That's who he is. He is the definition of love. You know, God is love, but you've got to understand that love is not God. So things that people call love in the world aren't always what God thinks love is. See, he defines it. And you see that when we're abiding in love, when we're connected okay, to the vine, like he is, okay, then, oh, sorry, then there is something that flows into us. And if we abide in him and him in us, love begins to be perfected in us. And it becomes the overriding, the overarching, the dominant source of life. And it, and it, it really motivates us then. Far more than fear. You know, you can have fear, but love overcomes fear. And love casts out fear. Love wins in the end over fear. And so we have to remember that as well. What does John say? We can't say that we love God and hate people because that's not that's not what God's love is. And if you can't love someone right in front of you, he's saying, then how can you love God who you can't see? And so this is the commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea that Jesus came up with. It is his commandment. It's his expectation of, of us as his followers, that we bear much fruit, fruit that will last, and that we love with his love in us. And so what does that look like? This is when you were meant to see the picture. <laughs> This is from The Cross and the Switchblade. It's a film uh, about David Wilkerson. It's a true story. And he was a pastor who went to New York and he, he wanted to reach the, the the gangs of New York. And he, was a, he started preaching the gospel to them. Of course, he was met with heavy resistance from um, one particular gang, uh, a Latino gang. And uh, one of the gang leaders is called Nicky Cruz. You can see a picture of uh, him here in this film uh, pointing towards uh, 
David Wilkerson. And this is a moment in the film, and of course in the book, The Cross and the Switchblade as well, when Nikki is really one of the most confrontational, one of the harshest gang members to David and his message. And this is a moment of change and transition here because Nikki is really spitting in the face of of David Wilkerson and even slaps him and, you know, he's, he's not good to him at all when he's just preaching, he's just bringing the gospel to them. And this is a moment when David Wilkerson says, God loves you, Nikki. And if you cut me into a million pieces, every one of those pieces will still love you. And I, I watched that clip a couple of weeks ago and it really challenged me because that's what real love is. It's not just love when you feel love, because love isn't just a feeling, you know. It's when you put your neck on the line. It's when you overcome the fear. It's not a nice situation to have a knife pointed at you, like in this picture. It's not, it's not nice to be told that you're worthless. It's not, you know, but when God's love is in you, you know who you are, you know your identity, and you can overcome these things. And the next scene in this film after, you know, Nikki has been confronting David Wilkerson, he, one of the other gang members, asked Nikki, you know, why Nikki? Why are you so afraid of him? Why are you so afraid of him? And Nikki Cruz has this moment of rage and fear almost. And it is fear. And, he's, and Nikki says, I'm afraid he's going to break up the gang. He's going to break up the gang. And so what was his motive? His motive was fear. And really it was that orphan spirit. Is that like we talked about last week? That I don't know who I am. My identity is based on the fact that I have this gang and I lead this gang and that's who I am. Okay. And really that's why the gospel is a challenge to the things of the world, the things of darkness because it unveils these things okay that's why there's opposition to the preaching of the gospel even though it's a message of love and genuine love it's still met with resistance but it's a great film and of course nikki cruz and all the pretty much all the gang become followers of the lord filled with the holy spirit and many of them are still uh, ministering in the power of the holy spirit to this day of course david wilkerson uh, passed away just a few years ago in a car crash and led a church for many, many years that still stands to this day called Times Square Church. Incredible story if you've never checked it out. But Nikki Cruz still going, I believe. And, um, you know, love won in the end and love went out on his heart and the others. And so, of course, we talked about bearing fruit. But how do we bear fruit? A reminder again, we've got to walk by the Spirit. We've got to be true to that connection that we have to the Lord. So he says, in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. And I've skipped through a section here where it goes on. So I can move on to where it talks about the fruit of the spirit. Okay, Bef the middle bit I've cut out talks about what the fruit of the flesh is. There's some not nice scripture in there. You can, you can read it later, but it says 
the, the fruits of the flesh are obvious, and it goes into this horrible list of things, things like you've just seen with Nikki Cruz there. Okay, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, that means patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what comes from the Spirit. That's what comes from being connected to Jesus, connected to the source, fruit, and fruit that will last. Not just when you feel up and down, not just feelings that come and go, feelings of love and joy here and there, bearing it and carrying it within your soul for the sake of the world and for the glory of the Father. That is the goal of the Christian life. And it's elsewhere in 2 Corinthians. Paul talks about, and this is my last scripture, how Christ's love compels us. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And what Paul's saying is this. He's saying that now that we know, now that we've identified with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We have no right to sin. We have no, that we're dead to sin. It's done. Okay. And that's what he's saying. You, you've died to sin. And really, Jesus has paid the price for the whole world. Do you know that? He's not just paid the price for you. Elsewhere, Paul would say, you know, you're not your own. Honor God with your bodies. You're not your own. You have bought at a price. And that, this is what he's talking about. We've talked about it today, the price that Jesus paid to bring us back, the price out of love he paid for us. Okay. But that same love that he had that for us to give himself for us is at work through us. And if we're convinced that one died for all, we're convinced that Jesus died for the whole world. Okay. Then our lives and the way that we now choose to live our life is going to be like him laying it down for the cause of love. And Jesus paid the price for the whole world. So you could say in some ways, people are living outside of Christ are living illegally because he paid for them and he owns them. And that's what it means to be redeemed. You pay the price for something and then you bring it back and then it becomes yours. And so Jesus has paid the price for the whole world, but not everyone has been redeemed. And part of the love of Christ compelling us is to, for the sake of what Jesus has done and for Jesus himself, to ensure that he gets what he paid for. Isn't that amazing? I want to finish with one final story that's really inspired me over the years. And it's, it's about the Moravian Missionary Society. And uh, Moravians have a long history, but they're known for their missionary work that spanned over a hundred years between the 17th, 18th century in particular. And one of the central figures of that movement, a spirit filled Christian movement, by the way, um, was Count Ludwig von Zitzendorf. And he, he was well known for, for saying things like what, whatever you do, let the spirit of Christ lead you. And, you know, he, he, he understood what it meant to be led by the spirit. And out of this prayer movement that they 
they had that of course went on for a hundred years with different people uh, spearheading that movement and that missionary movement there were two um two german um sorry two let's see moravian missionaries they were called john dober and david nichman okay and they were part of this movement and they were so willing to go into all the world to they felt called by god by the holy spirit to go to a plantation island in the West Indies called St. Thomas. And they were going, they were, they were going, they wanted to get there. And they were, they were so determined to get to this island where there's no churches, there's just slaves living on this island um, with, with no light. And he said, we want, we need to get there. One of them in particular stayed there for a long time. David Nishman uh, left, but it was actually uh, John Leonard Dober who stayed there. And they are reported to have said these words when they were leaving on the boat, knowing that they might not return uh, and even willing to sell themselves into slavery on, on the other end, which didn't happen in the end, but they were willing to do it. And they said these words, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Isn't that amazing? So, yes, we do things for people, but remember all that we do is for Jesus Christ, what he paid for, what he suffered for. I want to see him get the full reward of that, even if it means that I lay down my life's agenda to pick up what I feel the Spirit of God is telling me, which is to travel on an Atlantic ship all the way across to the West Indies, where there's no Christian influence. And of course, they had many many converts over there there over a period of time they can they're said to have baptized thirteen thousand converts out of these small collection of plantation islands and um just an incredible story of the willingness to be compelled by the love of christ to lay down yourself to know that if christ has died for all then all have died including me i my life what I want for my life is not insignificant anymore. If I identify with the fact that he laid down his life, then I need to lay down my life for him too. And an incredible story of the Moravian Missionary Society. And of course, there's been many uh, great movements of throughout time like this. But there's one phrase that really stood out to me about them. And it says that the Moravians had learned that the secret of loving the souls of men was found in loving the savior of men. Isn't that amazing? So actually when you deliberately love the Lord your God, it gives you love. People say, how can you love God more than your family? How can you love God more than people? Because this is how, because when you love him the most, he becomes the source of more love for everyone else. And so as I finish this message, I'm going to I'm going to end it here. I just want to encourage you, if you want to come back on to Lisa, I just want to encourage all of you today to just take a moment to think about the love of God and to think about how is God compelling you at this time? How is the love of God compelling you? What is he asking you to do today? What, Like Talita said, what step is he asking you to take forward today?